I wanted to do my best to clean the barn. It stinks. It does stink. Doesn't it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle with you from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA. 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around swell fellow, says me, if not you. Glad you could join us here for another thrilling, action-packed episode of the Bradcast. Lots to get to today. Uh, Congressional leaders are throwing their collective weight behind a hard-won two-year bipartisan budget plan aimed at heading off a looming government debt crisis and forestalling a government shutdown in December. That, according to AP, we're going to talk a lot more about that momentarily with uh, our guest David Dayen to explain uh, what it is that uh, Republicans and Democrats are both happy about and not so happy about well, anyway, we'll hold that for a moment because David Dayan is uh, is standing by. We're going to be joined a little bit later, as well as right now, by Desi Doyen, our producer. Hey, Desi. Hey. You'll be joining us for a, another thrilling Green News report. Oh yeah, I can't wait. I know. Well, now don't sound sarcastic. <laughs> You're going to get. And so it, it actually is a, a, an exciting one here because we've got a Republican senator who is breaking ranks. Uh, with the rest of the party to support Obama's clean power plan. A, a sitting U.S. senator saying, yes, I'm with Obama on this radical plan to reduce emissions. That's kind of cool. I agree. That's big. That's something. Uh, also, um, <laughs> another senator. I, I will tell you this. The senator who is uh, agreeing to go along with Obama's plan to cut emissions is not Senator James Inhofe. That much we know. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. He's the... Uh, well, he's the guy who brought a snowball into the uh, U.S. Senate floor to pretend that because it's snowing outside, global warming is not a problem. Uh, but he, James Inhofe, does have another plan in store to block the world treaty between uh, uh, the, the summit coming up in, in Paris at the end of this year to uh, cut emissions worldwide. So uh, James Inhofe has a plan. Also, uh, if time allows, we've got some new shakeups in the polls for both the 2016 presidential race. Uh, I should say for the 2016 presidential race on both the Democratic and Republican side. Also, one major retailer is shutting down altogether this year on Black Friday. 
Never mind what time they will open, whether they'll make their employees come in at the stroke of midnight uh, following a Thanksgiving. These guys are shutting down altogether, and it's awesome. Therefore, we're going to give them free advertising in exchange for uh, for doing that. And, uh, oh, a, a dog who, who shot his owner. So all of that is straight ahead on the broadcast and more. But first, before all of that, the limit on the debt ceiling, that's the amount of money that this uh, this country is able to borrow to pay off our debts, to pay for things that we have already purchased. Uh, that limit, that ceiling hits on November 3rd, just a few days away. And then the deadline for a budget to keep the government open entirely uh, hits us shortly thereafter. I think uh, December 11, as I recall. Well, late on Monday night, it appears that uh, Republicans and Democrats have finally come to an agreement, at least their leadership have come to an agreement, to avoid both deadlines, to avoid defaulting on our debts, as would happen as of November 3rd, if there was no deal there, to raise the amount of how much we can borrow, and to shut down the government entirely as of December 11. If uh, Republicans and Democrats couldn't strike an agreement, of course, Republicans don't like either of those things. They seem happy to default on our debts if if that's what it comes to, if if they can't get spending cuts from Democrats in the bargain. And they seem happy to shut down the government if Democrats won't do ridiculous things like completely defund Planned Parenthood. In any event, on on Monday night, it looks like the leadership from both the Republican and the Democratic parties in both the House and the Senate struck a deal to raise the debt limit and set the federal budget for the next two years. Uh, the uh, According to The Hill, the deal would extend the debt ceiling to March, 20, to March 2017 and break up budget caps set by a 2011 agreement that imposed a decade of reduced spending known as sequestration on the government. Now, those those were the across the board cuts to both de domestic and defense spending that are known as sequestration. They were imposed when Republicans and Democrats failed to reach an agreement on a budget back in uh, back in 2011. I believe it was they were meant to be both draconian and temporary as a way to force the parties at the time to come to an agreement. But you know, that didn't work. So these these across the board cuts have stayed in place. Uh, on both domestic spending and on uh, defense spending. This new deal now would raise the caps, raise those sequestration limits by a total of $112 billion over the next two years. Those funds would be divided equally between defense and non-defense spending, charting a compromise uh, between Republican defense hawks and pushing for more, uh, uh, pushing for more Pentagon spending and Democrats who want more spending on domestic programs. The deal would also restructure benefits for Social Security Disability Insurance, which Republicans have pitched as the program's first major change in decades. So you know it's good. The House could vote on the deal as early as Wednesday. If approved, it would provide a fresh start for Congressman Paul Ryan, who is expected to be elected as Speaker of the House later this week. Uh, and uh, he they have made uh, pains to point out that Paul Ryan was not involved in these budget negotiations. They want him to come in, I guess, with clean hands. Outgoing speaker John Boehner has said that he wants to clean up the barn a little bit to make life easier for his successor. Uh, the agreement isn't perfect by any means, but the alternative uh, was a clean 
debt ceiling increase without any additional support for our troops and without any entitlement reforms. So this is a good deal uh, for our troops, uh, for our taxpayers, and for the American people. So I made it clear a month ago when I announced that I was leaving uh, that I wanted to do my best to clean the barn. I didn't want him to walk into a dirty barn full of you-know-what. So uh, uh, I've done my best to try to clean it up. It stinks. This is not the way to run a railroad. Well, it's not the way to run a railroad, but it's the way that uh, John Boehner and the House Republicans have been running this railroad now for a whole bunch of years. Congressman Paul Ryan, who is expected or at least hoped by Republicans to uh, take the speakership within days, echoed John Boehner's uh, comments that this process stinks. I'm reserving judgment on this agreement mm -hmm. because I, quite frankly, haven't seen it yet. I want to see what it looks like on paper. But about the process, I can say this. I think this process stinks. This is not the way to do the people's business. And under new management, we are not going to do the people's business this way. Uh, we are up against a deadline. That's unfortunate. But going forward, we can't do the people's business. As a conference, we should have been meeting months ago to discuss these things to have a unified strategy going forward. Here to talk about this stinky process is our old friend David Dayen, financial reporter and contributing columnist at Salon, Fiscal Times, New Republic, The American Prospect, Guardian, Huffington Post, Politico, and just about everywhere else. Uh, David Dayen, welcome, welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brad. All right. Thank you for being had. Okay. Let me. Uh, let's do this. Uh, let's do this this way, uh, David. I know that there are. Uh, problems both the republicans uh and the so-called freedom caucus formerly the tea party caucus have a lot of problems with this agreement uh they don't like anything basically that comes from uh, john boehner and the leadership it seems no matter what it is but there's also some concerns from democrats right now bernie sanders presidential candidate says he would not support this deal given what he understands about cuts to Social Security and Medicare. So I want to hit all of that. Uh, let, let's start, though, with the Republican stuff. That's going to be covered a lot elsewhere, I suspect, so we'll spend more time on the Democrats. But just give me a, a general sense, if you could, uh, what we are looking for in these cuts, big picture, and what the concerns are from Republicans about those cuts. Right. Well, in general, what this, this whole thing does is prevent a bunch of hostage-taking. I mean, I think that's the real problem that mm -hmm. the House Freedom Caucus has with it. It extends the debt limit out to March of 2017. It creates a two-year budget uh, infrastructure, basically, a framework, so that uh, we won't have this government shutdown looming over our heads until October of 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, it ships the sequestration caps so that there is more spending in 2016 and 2017. So that was a major point of contention and something Democrats wanted. Uh, they also wanted them to be even between defense and discretionary spending. It's not clear that they are actually even. We'll get into that later. Right. Um, it, this also prevents an attempted hostage taking of the Social Security Disability Program. Uh, that program was going to run out of money sometime next year uh, if uh, a very routine function, which is known as reallocation, where money that is dedicated to the general Social Security Fund is simply moved over into the disability program. Uh, Republicans didn't want to do that. They wanted to force these major changes on the Social Security disability program. 
that reallocation has been done in this deal. Uh, so, uh, and, and we can talk about the changes that are made, which are, there are some, uh, but I don't think they're as far-reaching as Republicans might have wanted. And just to clarify on that Social Security disability uh, thing, because mm-hmm. we hear that a lot. We, you know, we hear from Republicans, oh, Social Security is going broke. It's not really going broke, is it? And uh, when they when they uh, say that, aren't they sort of doing a, a bait and switch there? They're sort of referring to the Social Security disability program, which right. has to be manually sort of refunded every year from the general Social Security program. Right. I mean, when we pay into the Social Security fund, we pay one number, right? Uh-huh. We pay a certain percentage of our paycheck right. into the Social Security fund. That gets segmented. Part goes to disability, part goes to the, the old age insurance part of the fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, those dissipate at different rates. Mm-hmm. And right now what's happening is the, the disability part of that equation is dissipating faster uh, than, uh, you know, it's, it's not generating as much money to keep up with the expenses. So uh, all you would have to do is reallocate uh, a small amount, because there aren't that many people on disability. Right. So this doesn't really affect the long-term financing of the Social Security Fund writ large by more than a couple months, maybe. But it, it extends the disability fund for about seven years. So mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, there's no reason for these two things to be separate, really. I mean, we're right. all paying into the same fund. Uh, but this, this sort of situation where they are separate, allowed Republicans to try to force down these major changes to the disability program amid a crisis. So that got diffused, and, they, uh, and, 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 and that's a good thing. And Well, that is a good thing, and Republicans, uh, apparently, they like to have that ability to uh, you know, say, crisis, well, Social Security's going broke, we have to privatize it. Uh, and they also, you, you mentioned David Day, and they're not happy because this would put an end to the hostage-taking, uh, right. for the most part, for the next right. two years. and there's they, even yeah. another piece of hostage-taking that, mm-hmm. was, that was averted here, which is uh, there was a, a looming 52% increase to uh, the premiums for Medicare for a certain segment, about 30% of Medicare beneficiaries. It's a little complicated why. It has to do with the fact that there was no cost-of-living adjustment mm-hmm. with Social Security this year. Uh, and anyone, well, anyway, I don't want to get into this whole thing, but uh, basically this deal would smooth those uh, increases so that it would only be a 10 to 15% increase this year and then smooth them out many years into the future so that uh, uh, you wouldn't get this 52% jolt all at once. And this is some, that's something that uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, House she Minority Leader... Very, very hard. Yeah, she and worked... So that's, that's a win for her, although it really doesn't avert the increase. It just smooths it out right. uh, over a number of years. Eventually, you're going to catch up, and, and, and people are going to feel that increase, uh, which is you know sp- sort of part of a larger issue with our fragmented health care system. Uh, and, and, and the fact that, that, you know, you have Medicare people on one side and you have Medicare dual eligibles with Medicaid on another side and you have mm-hmm. uh, Medicare beneficiaries who get Social Security and those who don't, and then you have the private market. And if everybody was in one market what? with a single payer, what? it would be a little bit easier 
to bargain down prices and, and ensure that everybody is covered and, and, and have a larger risk pool. I'm speaking uh, with my guest, David Dayen, yeah. who hates America and uh, <laughs> would like to uh, have a reasonable health care system. A socialist health care system. <laughs> that's right, so, a socialist. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's, but in the confines of this agreement, that is, you know, it's generally on, on balance good that we're not going to have 30% of Medicare beneficiaries get this massive increase to their premium. Price. Well, let me talk about uh, domestic spending a little bit more in a second. I want to sort of get this uh, uh, the, this defense issue out of the way. Well, mm-hmm. the, as uh, they report, I think this is AP here, um, the deal increases spending caps. Uh, this is, again, going back to that sequestration and those yeah. uh, artificial across-the-board cuts that were put in some years ago. This, so this deal increases the spending caps for defense and non-defense programs by $25 billion each, according to uh, AP here, yeah. uh, in, in fiscal 2016. Uh, it would then boost defense and non-defense discretionary amounts by $15 billion each in 2017. However, yes. there is a... Well, if you know the however, why don't I let you explain yeah. the however? However, yeah. there however. is this other little kitty, and yeah called the Overseas Contingency Operations Budget, or right. OCO, which is, by the way, a brand new thing that did not exist prior to the Iraq War. It was a way to fund that war mm-hmm. sort of off-budget. Right. Uh, and it was a way to do these emergency supplementals where you could say, are you for or against the troops? And you'd have to commit this spending at that time. It's now they've folded of... that into the budget process, mm-hmm. so you don't even get a separate vote on these things. And uh, increasingly what happens, by the way, I don't think we're at war with anyone such that you need to increase the OCO budget $32 billion uh, over the next two years, because what is done with this budget is it is used as a Pentagon slush fund right. to deal with other priorities that the Pentagon wants to do. For example, the Afghanistan OCO budget mm-hmm. was used to repair submarines. The last I heard, Afghanistan is a <laughs> landlocked country, and submarine repair would not fall <laughs> under an overseas contingency operation directly related to that war. Right. This is the kind of things that get, are gotten away with when you just turn this OCO budget into a slush fund. So Republicans tried this gimmick uh, when they passed their defense budget. Uh, the, the White House huffed and, 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 and said they, they weren't going to sign it, but what this does is enshrine... Uh, uh, that $32 billion, which is extra for the Pentagon, part of it actually goes to the State Department uh, in addition to the Pentagon, uh, but that, that stuff is probably used on military programs that are put together by the State Department. Right. Um, and, and by the way, yeah. this $32 billion, all, everything in this budget deal is offset. In other words, you have cuts that uh, are attached, you know, uh, offset the spending. Not the OCO budget. So they're that allowed to raise. Billion is not offset because it's magic money, 
and when the Pentagon spends it, it's not real. So when they increase the budget uh, for the for the for the Pentagon, at least uh, in regard to these uh, sequestration caps, uh, twenty five billion dollars in twenty sixteen right. and uh, twenty five billion dollars in twenty sixteen as well for non defense programs. That's, that's got to awesome. be paid for. They cut something somewhere else in they order cut to pay for this. Somewhere else in order to pay for. But it. not this thirty two billion dollar slush fund. And that's so correct. that was originally. Then there was, I guess. So, so it's off books, sort of. It was originally, it's, it's, we're in the middle of a war. Covered, it's not off books. I mean, we know we're spending it, but it's not covered by the sequestration caps. Right. It's not covered by the overall spending cap from the Budget Control Act, which sequestration is on top of, by the way. But but I mean uh, to say, David, it was it, when it was originally done, it was uh, meant to be sort of separate from the budget. Hey, we are at war now with yes. Afghanistan or with Iraq. Therefore, right. we need to pay for that war. Right. So let's create this uh, you know, additional allocation of money separately. Correct. And now it has become a permanent fixture for 15 years. Nobody That's pays correct. for it. We simply borrow to do it. And these Republicans who are so concerned about spending seem absolutely fine with this. Right. Do they not? When we, when we have, uh, you know, homeless people that need shelter or, or poor people that need food for the food stamps program, then the answer is we're broke. Right. We cannot pay for that. We, uh, we, we are, are selling out our children's future. There is no way we can scrounge up any more money in the couch cushions. We're broke. But when this, this little kitty that, that Pentagon uh, 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 you know, generals and that want to use to do whatever, uh, protect their favorite program or build more uh, weapons of any kind, that we have plenty of money for, right. and if you don't like it, you hate the troops, <laughs> right. and 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 you're, plenty you're of, an un-American. Plenty person. of money for uh, for submarines in landlocked Afghanistan. Exactly, no problem there. All right, well, let's. Uh, and there's a question about whether this can. Uh, well. I suspect it will pass uh, because yeah, it, it's got it uh, the uh, Democrats and Republicans on board. So you're going to have a lot of whining and complaining, obviously, from the uh, from the Freedom Caucus, certainly about, uh, you know, the way the process, the way this was done, the amount of spending, whatever they can be angry about. Uh, but when it comes to Democrats, OK, let's talk about that. Yeah. They are, uh, as we mentioned, Nancy Pelosi. She is happy about some of this, but uh, otherwise we do have some cuts, do we not, to both Medicare and Social Security built yeah. into this thing? Uh, uh, yeah, here are a few things that I am concerned about with, right. with this deal. So, number one, the major way the pay-for, first of all, that there are pay-fors at all. <laughs> this deal should be get rid of these, these ridiculous caps mm-hmm. that are artificial and that are keeping down uh, productive activity that could be used to benefit people's lives. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there are caps at all, uh, and the fact that this this sequester is just is being shifted. It's not being lifted. It's just you're paying for it in future years. So you're just instead of artificially uh, reducing federal expenditures now, you'll be artificially reducing federal expenditures later. Mm-hmm. I mean that's really all this does. Mm-hmm. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two. The biggest pay for here actually extends sequestration on Medicare provider rates, mandatory spending, uh, two more additional years. 
Originally, that, that, that 2% cut, that haircut on Medicare provider rates, was supposed to end in 2021. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the uh, Ryan-Patty-Murray budget deal, which lifted some of the sequester uh, caps uh, back in 2013, extended that by two years. Now we're doing it again. And I think it's very clear now that these provider rates are going to be haircut forever. I mean, because now this is just a convenient thing that uh, congressional appropriators can do. If they're looking for money, they can just extend that Medicare sequester on and on and on and on. It seems like temporary cuts to domestic programs and temporary uh, increases of defense spending, foreign wars and so forth, those, both of those temporary things are immediately permanent these days uh, when, yes. when we make I these mean, deals. When you're talking about the Medicare thing, yeah. it's, it's permanent. I mean, it's a haircut. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a haircut to providers, and people say, well, uh, is this going to stop Medicare providers from actually seeing patients because it's not cost-effective right. relative to private insurance? Right. Uh, they can make more money from it. We don't know what the effect of this is going to be, but what we do know is that this is a cut to Medicare, and it's real, and it's going to happen forever because we, we now have you know, twice as a trend. We now have the precedent that if you want to uh, find money in Washington, you just extend that Medicare sequester. Well, is that worth the deal, uh, given the fact that you, know, you mentioned that's, that's stave that's off not, the Medicare hike, uh, premium hikes right. and so forth? Is it worth the deal? Is it not worth the deal? I'll let people draw their own conclusions. What, I, what I'm trying, uh, I want to do is sort mm-hmm. of demystify what's going on and mention that, you know, baselines matter. A mm-hmm. baseline budget spending allocation matters. It matters how much is, is, is attributed to one purpose. If you try to raise that spending level, where you're raising it from matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it determines whether people can see their doctor. It determines whether people can get uh, the required care that they need. Mm-hmm. So, so, so these things should not be you know, sometimes you want to step back and not see these things on a cost-benefit, should we have done the deal, should we not have done the deal basis. This is what we're getting, and, 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 and people should be informed of that. Um, the other thing that we're getting uh, within this, this deal is uh, there are uh, what I would characterize as cuts to, to the Social Security Disability Insurance Program. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're called reforms. And what they largely are, are harassing Social Security disability would-be beneficiaries to try to get them to not join the program. What does that mean? (laughs) What it means is is that there are going to be these units of of roving bands of government officials Mm -hmm. who are looking for, quote-unquote, fraud in the Social Security disability program and making it harder for individuals who have a disability and want to get the benefits to actually access them. It's, there is no question that it's going to be harder once this deal is put in place to actually access, apply for, and receive Social Security disability benefits. Now, it, There's I, just no question about it. And, and people are really downplaying this part of the deal, but... You know, we've seen it here, by the way, in California back uh, when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. He put in these, these very Byzantine rules to, uh, you know, make it harder to sign up for Medi-Cal. 
And uh, the entire goal of that was to have less people on Medi-Cal, to make it so onerous and burdensome to sign up that people would just say to hell with it. Well, my understanding is it's already very difficult uh, yes, to, to access Social Security disability. Is there a, and, and by the way, the Republicans are bragging about this. This is going to result, they say, in $168 billion well, in long-term saving. They're very that, proud of that. That, I think, is it, not true. That, that was based on an earlier thing that they mm-hmm. wanted to do. Uh, that was touted by the Heritage Foundation that did not make it into the bill. Well, that that's good to know. But in any that event, do we have but, a but problem, what I am saying, David? Well, le, David, let me ask: Do do we ha- is there a problem with fraud in the Social Security Disability no, Program that needs no. to be tended there to? There is not a problem with fraud in the Social Security Disability System uh, anymore. That there's a much larger problem with fraud in the federal contracting process when corporations. Get sweetheart deals right. uh, and large no bid contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, there is a. It's a very minuscule part of a pretty well designed program, uh, and the entire goal of this. There, there are two goals. One is to intimidate people and and make the process so hard that people won't sign up for these benefits. And number two, there's a pilot program in here, and we'll have to see what this ends up uh, becoming. But there's a pilot program in here, the the goal of which is designed to push people from disability into work. Uh, And we've heard this before, you know, uh, visions of welfare to work uh, might be dancing in your head right now. So uh, the idea is to, when uh, uh, Social Security disability beneficiaries get uh, a certain amount of work on a per-monthly basis, that money would be then deducted from their Social Security disability benefit, uh, and it would phase out uh, uh, potentially all the benefit, and then there would be a lot of programs to encourage this uh, to happen. And it's basically pushing people off disability. Um, now, you know, there may be, you may think that there are benefits to that to get people into the workplace. Uh, uh, you know, what we know is there's still slack in the labor market, and uh, it's difficult for anyone to get a job right now. Um, and, and the idea that there are just millions of jobs waiting for disability recipients uh, might be a little bit fanciful. Um, but the point is that. Uh, these are real things mm-hmm. that are going to happen. There is going to be an effort to ferret out fraud in the Social Security Disability Program in a way that there that it isn't across uh, any kind of corporate welfare that's given out in the budget. Right. Um, and there's going to be this effort to move people from disability to work. Now, that's a demonstration project. It might not be that large. We don't know yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, we should be aware that it's in there. Let me talk, uh, speaking with uh, David Dayen, uh, l- let me, we've got just a, a couple of minutes mm-hmm. left here, David. I, I want to talk a little bit about the politics around all of this. Uh, sure. Adam Green, co-founder of uh, the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, uh, said in a statement that the White House, every Democrat running for president, and every Democrat in Congress should make clear that any deal that cuts Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid benefits would be unacceptable policy and politically would be wildly... Now, that said, with voters, 
I, I interviewed last week uh, far-right uh, sort of conservative icon Richard Vigory, uh, the godfather of the, uh, uh, of the modern conservative movement. And I asked him, you know, uh, would, would, does your caucus support defaulting on our loans? In other words, if we don't get a deal on this, you know, defaulting on our, 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 our ability to pay off our loans, even though that will cost a whole lot of money, uh, to our economy, our our will be uh, our credit rating will be downgraded. It doesn't sound very conservative to me. Let me give you his answer, and then I want to read you this poll that just came out about all of this. Here's Richard Vigory uh, a week or two ago here on the broadcast. I would hope that the uh, the Congress could get together with the president and come to grips with the fact that we have, as the government says, unsustainable spending. Where the word unsustainable has a real meaning. It means it cannot go on. And rather than just routinely pass spending uh, extensions, I think the Congress and the president need to get together and rein in our spending and make it part of a deal to extend uh, the uh, uh, debt limit, but also rein in spending. I mean, the Democrats have got to come to grips at one some point here that we do have unsustainable spending. But, it cannot go on. And, and as a conservative, you'd rather see us lose a lot of money, as we will, <laughs> if in fact we, we default on those I, debts. I think we are heading towards a cliff where we will be no turning around, and we need to have a conversation with the American people about our priorities, and the Democrats have been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to stop spending. And I think we need to have that discussion with the American people, and this 2016 election is going to provide us that opportunity. So that was Richard Vigory a week or so ago on this broadcast. Uh, he was willing to uh, shut down the government, to default on our loans, unless we made a deal about spending. It seems there has been a deal about spending, but I was surprised, David Dayen, uh, that a new poll from uh, APGFK uh, out, uh, out today, actually, says that while uh, the American people, uh, including Republicans, are against the idea of shutting down the government over halting payments to, uh, to Planned Parenthood or over the Iran deal, uh, nuclear deal, or, or over Obamacare, they are, on the other hand, not just Republicans, but Democrats alike. Fifty percent in the poll said that Congress should only increase federal borrowing authority if government spending is substantially cut, uh, another 11 percent opposed boosting the ceiling under any circumstances. So we're talking 61 percent of the American people are against raising the debt limit. Um, I, I, I would characterize that as a, a total failure of public education yeah. and uh, political education, uh, particularly by the leadership in the Democratic Party to under underline the stakes to underline what it is to have a federal budget, to underline what it is to pay for that budget, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and to underline the fact that as, as a nation with our own currency, we can't run out of money. Apparently, the country has not gotten that message. They have not. They have not. And, and that's, that's, that's very discouraging. Yep. And uh, you know, part of it is the fact that we, we you know, give short shrift to these arguments and, uh, you know, four years ago, the president was uh, very happy to enter into negotiations with John Boehner uh, in trying to come up with a major grand bargain on, on, mm -hmm. on fiscal matters. Yep. Uh, and we're still feeling the effects of that, by the way, because all of this 
comes from that. All of this uh, uh, sequestration and artificial spending caps, it all is a result of those talks, which I would not say failed. I would say they succeeded from a Republican standpoint uh, in removing, I believe, $4 trillion over a 10-year period mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of, of long-term spending costs. David Dayan, uh, I got to get out. Uh, this yeah. thing is going to uh, to pass, I guess. Uh, I, I think it's pretty likely, likely it's yeah. going to pass. You know, I mean, there, there's whether you think it should or not. Uh, you know, that can be debated. Certainly, this takes away a lot of the firepower uh, that Congress, uh, the Republican Congress, would have had. Uh, on the other hand, there are real consequences to some of the things that are in here. Yes, Dan, there is no such thing as temporary. Maybe that's the takeaway lesson today. Uh, David Dayan, check out his uh, fantastic work as ever over at uh, Salon and the Fiscal Times and everywhere else. Uh, David, if this passes, I guess uh, we'll have no more hostage taking for two years. I'll I know, talk. I won't be on the show. Anymore. I was going to say, I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you in, two, in 2017. All right. See you later. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast. Right after this, Brad Friedman here. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back. It's your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here. Green News Report and Desi Doyen are on deck. Are you standing by, Desi Doyen? I am standing, well, sitting by. All right, keep sitting. Uh, we will get to you momentarily. And that uh, that Republican U.S. Senator who has now decided that maybe climate change isn't a hoax and uh, that this U.S. Senator will, in fact, support uh, Obama's clean power plan. So that's that's kind of big news. Uh, all right, uh, some uh, presidential polling news. We haven't talked about uh, the uh, presidential news in a while. We've got a, a re- another Republican debate coming up this week, which we will, of course, be covering here on the broadcast. Um, ben Carson has now taken a double-digit lead over Donald Trump in Iowa. This is the fourth, uh, the fourth poll, I believe, in a row, showing Ben Carson uh, knocking Donald Trump down uh, not just a peg, a whole bunch of pegs. Carson now leads by 14 points in Iowa in the GOP caucus, according to the Monmouth University poll. The two outsider candidates, Carson and Trump, still remain atop both of them amid a prevailing attitude that the National Republican Party has not served its voters well, says the uh, pollsters at Monmouth. Carson now has 32 percent with to Donald Trump's 18 percent in Iowa among likely caucus goers. Uh, the two were tied back in August last time Monmouth checked uh, following Carson and Trump is uh, Ted Cruz way down at 10% and Marco Rubio at 10%. Jeb Bush 
is down at 8%. Carson is up by 9 points compared to two months ago. And Rubio, Marco Rubio, is also up by 6 points, whereas Trump has dropped by 5. And Carly Fiorina, she has decreased by 5 as well. Trump's support has eroded in a number of key areas, says uh, Patrick Murray, director of Monmouth University's Polling Institute with the beneficiary being another outside candidate, in this case, uh, Ben Carson. Uh, one question, however, is how uh, Cars- how secure Carson's newfound support really is. Uh, yeah, I think once people get to know Ben Carson, uh, he will be dropped like a hot potato. That's just my guess, but you know what? Don't listen to me because I don't understand why anyone is interested in Ben Carson at all. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, I understand why they go for Trump. I really do. And actually, I think he's going to uh, stay around for uh, a while longer. Uh, But Ben Carson, I don't get. From that same poll, uh, Hillary Clinton has now taken a commanding lead over Bernie Sanders in Iowa among likely Iowa Democratic caucus goers. She now leads in the Hawkeye State by 41 points. That's 65 points to Sanders, 24 points. She has taken a huge lead over Bernie Sanders, who had uh, who still has the lead in, in New Hampshire, but had the lead in Iowa. Now uh, Hillary Clinton following both the Democratic debate and her uh, her testimony in the uh, in the Benghazi committee uh, for 10 hours. Uh, has uh, apparently garnered her quite a bit of support. But going nationally, back to the Republican side here, this is what's interesting. We've seen four polls where Ben Carson has uh, now led in Iowa uh, against Donald Trump. But according to at least one poll anyway, and it's just one poll, but it's the New York Times CBS News survey, Ben Carson has now taken a narrow lead in the Republican presidential campaign nationally, dislodging Donald Trump from the top spot for the first time in months. Uh, Carson is now the choice of 26 percent of primary voters, where Trump uh, has now just 22 percent, almost within the uh, margin of error in this poll, but notable after Trump has uh, led for so many months nationally, Now, maybe that is changing. This is the first time that uh, Trump has not led all of the candidates since the Times and CBS News began measuring presidential preferences at the end of July. No other candidate on the GOP side comes even close to Carson and Trump. Rubio, Marco Rubio of Florida, received just 8 percent. Governor Bush and Carly Fiorina, former Hewlett Packard chief executive, fired by the company, are the choice of 7% of Republican primary voters. We will keep our eye on that as ever. Remember that woman, uh, Desi, who who shot at a shoplifter in the parking lot? It, this was the of a Walmart. Uh, of, a, of a Home Depot. Oh, that's right. A couple of weeks ago. This was on the same day that we had our latest uh, mass shooting at uh, in Oregon. She had uh, she just decided she was a, a concealed carry uh, license holder, and she just decided she saw there was someone running out of the store. She decided to start shooting at them in the parking lot. Uh, that was uh, 46-year-old Tatiana Duva Rodriguez. Uh, thankfully, she didn't hurt anybody, 
she was, however, arrested and uh, and charged with the reckless discharge of a firearm. She has now pled no contest to that. Uh, that's good. The two men who were driving away with the stolen merchandise were eventually found a few days later and charged with retail fraud, which, last I checked, is not uh, punishable by death. But this woman, uh, Duva Rodriguez, apparently thought otherwise. She was more than happy to shoot them and possibly uh, innocent people in the Well, you lot. know, they were stealing plastic stuff from Home Depot. That That's a <laughs> that's, horrible, horrible yes. crime that must be stopped. Yeah, yes, shoot them. Oh, brother, America, what are you going to do? Um, but uh, here's what you're going to do. If you're a dog... You're going to shoot your owner. That's how bad the problem has gotten in this country with with guns. We now have dogs actually shooting their own owner. I swear to God, this is from uh, AP. Authorities say a northern Indiana woman is recovering after being shot in the foot by her dog. Now, you would think that story, uh, and I can, I'll give you the details in a second. You think that story is uh, kind of remarkable enough, but the name of the dog trigger oh boy. i swear to- <laughs> indiana conservation officer jonathan boyd says 25 year old ali carter of avila or avia laid her 12 gun, uh, 12 gauge shotgun on the ground without the safety on during a waterfowl hunt on saturday at the tri-county fish and wildlife area boyd says carter's chocolate chocolate labrador retriever trigger Stepped on top of the shotgun and depressed the trigger. He says uh, Carter was shot in the left foot at point-blank range, suffering injuries to her foot and toes. She was treated at two hospitals and released uh, at uh, Tri-County Fish and Wildlife Area. is about 140 miles north of Indianapolis. Nice shooting, Trigger. All right, a quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report. Oh, and uh, the one retailer... Let's hope this starts a trend. But the one retailer who is actually closing this year on Black Friday to allow their employees to, you know, enjoy the holiday. Imagine that here in these United States of America. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Stay tuned. Back to the broadcast. Melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report <laughs> up momentarily. Oh, you love oh, that, that joke, don't you? Time. I, know. I know. You love that. All right. Uh, coming up uh, momentarily before we get to it. Um, oh, this is great news, Des. And I held this uh, for the Green News Report segment because it's it's sort of, uh, well, it's, it's REI. You know what, uh, REI? The, yes, uh, Recreation Re- Equipment International, yeah, the famous good. co-op yes, of which good. I am a member. Yes, uh, me too. A great, uh, love REI. They are closing this Black Friday. They're actually a co-op. They write, uh, they are doing something different this Black Friday. We're closing all 143 of our stores. Instead of reporting to work, we're paying our employees to do what we love most, be outside. 
We're passionate about bringing you great gear, but we're even more passionate about the experiences it unlocks for all of us. Perhaps John Muir said it best back in 1901, quote, thousands of tired, nerve-shaken, over-civilized people are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home. We think Black Friday is the perfect day to remind people of this essential truth. I love that. Well, that's I, completely un-American. I, lo- I know it is. I love that, <laughs> and I love them. I love REI. Uh, no, they are not a sponsor of this program. No. But if they're going to give their workers, you know, because we have now more and more debates every year about these stores, these horrible Target, Walmart, all the rest of them, keeping up, uh, keeping open their stores on black, actually opening up their stores like at midnight, or at 8 p.m. on Thanksgiving night. It's oh, like that's not right. even, it's pre It's pre Black Friday. Yeah. It's the eve of Black Friday. Yeah. No more holidays for you people in retail. To hell with you. We've got to increase productivity. We've got to incre- increase corporate profits. That is bad enough. I would, you know, I would have been happy if they said, you know, we are not opening on Black Friday, on Friday after Thanksgiving until you noon know, or something. Or, or hell, 8, 9 a.m. or a normal time. At this point, I would take it. That's how much this country has become a bunch of wage slaves that will be happy with that. But no, REI is giving them the entire day off on Friday after Thanksgiving. Imagine that. They say, um, we're going to uh, hashtag opt outside and we want you to join us. So we're, we're giving them, we are joining them. Yay we're, for we're, REI. We just gave them free advertising. There hashtag out, opt outside. While the rest of the world is fighting it out in the aisles, we hope to see you in the great outdoors. Visit optoutside.rei.com and you'll discover great ways to opt outside from coast to coast. Again, they are not our sponsor. That was not an advertisement. Well, I guess it was. But it was a free one, and I'm happy to give it to them. All right. Anything else we got to do before we get to our latest Green News no, report? except get to it. Uh, yeah, th- this elephant story from Zimbabwe. Can't do it. We'll have to hold it for another program. All right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Are the leaders in your party wrong on the issue? Well, I believe so. One Republican senator breaks ranks to support Obama's clean power plan. This is illegal even under Indonesian law. Illegal deforestation causing killer air pollution in Indonesia. Washington, D.C. gets creative with the excrement floating out of the nation's capital. Oh, man. Plus, Senator James Inhofe has a plan to derail international climate talks. Of course he does. All of those plans and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Some warming would actually be Good. Well, thanks for doing your part, Rush Limbaugh. And that's a lot of hot air. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we are now about one month away from the international climate talks that will be in Paris. A lot of anticipation for this. Finally, a deal, a treaty for the whole world to combat global warming. And James Inhofe, Senator James Snowball Inhofe, the man (laughs) who held a snowball on the Senate floor to prove that there was no such thing as global warming, says he is now considering going over to Paris to the talks to be, quote, the bad guy, the one-man truth squad, and tell the truth that they're going to be lied to by the Obama administration. 
Uh, I think he's going to be viewed more as a one-man comedy team, but well, yeah. Well, this is the guy who said, remember, famously... The notion that man-made gases cause global warming is probably the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. So he thinks global warming is a hoax. He continues to think it's a hoax. And, uh, well, that's his plan. He's going to try to save the world from President Obama. Whatever happened to the idea that foreign policy stops at the water's edge. These Republicans are now doing this, undermining the president. They did it on Iran. They're trying to do it on global warming. And it's not just Inhofe. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from the coal state of Kentucky has warned the international community that Republicans plan to attack and undermine any agreement reached at the U.N. climate talks. Unbelievable. That's what these guys do now. Some might call it treason. But anyway, what else do you have for us today that is not treasonous. Ah, uh, well, I don't know if this is treasonous or not, but McConnell is also pressuring states to defy President Obama's clean power plan. That's the first ever standards to cut carbon emissions from the nation's power plants. However, one Republican senator has broken ranks. Senator Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire came out in support of the clean power plan this week in an interview with New Hampshire's NPR. I've carefully reviewed this plan. And then I looked at uh, what does New Hampshire have to do to, to comply, and we are well on our way to meeting the targets, and so that's why I've, I've decided that I will support uh, this plan. I believe we can help address climate change through clean energy solutions that will protect New Hampshire's environment. IOT is facing a tough re-election battle against New Hampshire's Democratic governor, Maggie Hassan, who's already supported the plan. It's interesting that when these Republicans have actual, you know, competition, suddenly they decide uh, to choose the side of reality, I guess. President Obama's landmark clean power plan is also now under legal attack. Now, the plan would reduce emissions from the nation's power plants by 30 percent. It is a major pillar of our emissions deal with China. Literally minutes after the clean power plan was formally published in the Federal Register late last week, 25 states, utilities, and coal industry groups filed court challenges to stop it, alleging the EPA is overstepping its authority. The fight is likely to ultimately land at the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, a public health emergency in Indonesia, where illegal slash-and-burn tactics to clear Indonesia's forests for palm oil plantations has caused out-of-control forest fires, sending choking smoke into neighboring countries. At least 10 people have died, and half a million have sought medical treatment. Airlines have canceled flights due to lack of visibility. For the first time, calls are growing for Indonesia's neighbors to step up and prosecute their companies that are illegally clearing Indonesia. Indonesia's land for palm oil plantations, according to Simon Tay of the Singapore Institute for International Affairs on Bloomberg News. This is illegal even under Indonesian law. So Singapore needs to do its part. If there's a Singapore company that is involved in this, Indonesia should name it. And I would say I would ask our government to prosecute that company this year now. Finally, the city of Washington, D.C. is getting creative with all of the excrement flowing out of the nation's capital. The city's municipal water system is now utilizing poo power, literally <laughs> harnessing electricity from every flush. D.C. water recently became the first water utility in North America to use a Norwegian technology called thermal hydrolysis. It it essentially cooks the sewage and then takes the leftover sludge and converts it into electricity and landscape fertilizer. Oh, man, if what you're saying is excrement is power, 
A lot of power in Washington, D.C. <laughs> yes. I think that's about all I can say uh, on, on the this radio. broadcast. That's right. Uh, for much more on all of our stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, you just you just love those poo stories, I don't do. you? What is I mean, it with you? Well, they're hilarious for one thing, and for another, they are brilliant. It is something that we obviously cope with, uh, create copious amounts of every single day, and to use it <laughs> for good for something we need anyway. It makes just so much sense. It's it's mind boggling that not everyone is doing this. <laughs> to use it for good. Instead of evil. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well done. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. If you missed any portion of our program, you can, as ever, download it from bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where you can also download, by the way, any episode of the Green News Report that you might have uh, that you might have missed. So uh, look for a Green News Report. Look for the Bradcast. Give both of them a good review. Over at iTunes, make it a little bit easier for other folks to uh, to find it. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to David Dayan of Salon. Thank you, as ever, David, for joining us. And, of course, to you for uh, giving us a portion of your day or night. We are delighted and honored to have you with us. Uh, we will be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Uh, until then, please find us and follow us and give me your thoughts and opinions on the Twitters or the Facebooks at the Brad Blog, or you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, that's it. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>